Welcome to Rehydrate. This season, we are reading and discussing Becky Chambers' The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, which is book one of the Wayfarer series. This is season two, episode two, The Job, where we'll be reading chapters eight, nine, and ten, uh, which are The Job, the next chapter after that, and then The Wayne. Uh, the hosts are new to this book and series, and we've only read up to chapter 10. I'm Jim, uh, but let's go around and talk about how we're reading this book, as in by what means. I was previously reading the EPUB version, but then I got the physical book from the library, and as a result of that, I, I learned a few things. One, from the back of the book jacket, I learned that Becky Chambers is the child of a astrobiology educator, an aerospace engineer, and an Apollo rocket scientist. I think she has only two parents, so I think that means one of the parents is an aerospace engineer and an Apollo rocket scientist, and maybe the other parent is the astrobiology educator. And I've also learned from the front of the book that Anne Leckie, author of Ancillary Justice, says about this book, great fun. So that's that's handy to know. And it is great fun so far, I think. Hi, I'm Dan. Uh, I am reading this on a Kindle Paperwhite ebook version. And I'm Tim. And uh, yeah, I'm actually reading the uh, Kindle version as well on a Kindle Paperwhite. And sometimes I actually just pull up the Kindle app on my PC and go through a few chapters that way. This is Amin. I'm reading the EPUB version on an iPad. And what I've learned is that the automatic dark mode on the iPad is very erratic and it goes on and off whenever it wants, but it makes for fun reading. Do you have the option to explicitly say that this book should always be in dark mode? I have the option to say my entire iPad should always be in dark mode. Or oh. not. But that seems like more I don't yeah. care that much. So I, just I, I guess that, that is off topic, but I also have trouble with telling my iPhone that you should always be in dark mode. But oh, I did the opposite. I always keep it in light mode. I never dark mode. I think looks weird. What? Oh. And it hurts my eyes more. Even, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the kind of conflict that humanity will, will get over in the future. <laughs> but for now, we're very primitive and warlike. If I, uh, if I read on the iPad, well, I use the Kindle app on the iPad, but uh, I tend to like put like the the sort of like sepia toned like uh, it's a little like more muted, and I turn the like brightness down, and that's pretty comfortable to read. But yeah, I mean, I like dark mode for like most other like web browsing and all that, but not for reading books for whatever reason. But if you're reading in light mode, it's like staring into a dim bulb for an hour, and that seems. It seems more fatiguing on my eyeballs than not. Oh, okay. And like again, on the iPad, like there's like the, the iPad Kindle version. You know, there's like a sepia toned like like setting where it's you know it's oh. a little oranger. And then if you just turn the brightness down, like I think it's pretty comfortable to read. Like, so I would say it's the opposite for me. Like, and when I'm reading in dark mode, like if the background is dark and the text is white, then like if I look away, like I can see like lines of white text you know <laughs> and it's like that's more that's more uncomfortable for me of a reading experience for me uh so that's why i prefer light mode for read for everything really you're gonna wear out your eyes slightly earlier than the rest of us if we yeah. if we live 500 years your your <laughs> eyes will probably go bad in year 450 my my eyes are already bad so. oh that's true I tend to like to be in the dark as much, like at night or at least and all that. It's like, you know, be in low light conditions as much as possible. So I tend to like dark modes or muted mode. If your phone screen is cracked like mine, white text uh, on black background um, is easier to parse than black text on uh, white background, which blends in with the cracks. So there's another reason. I just have one issue, one one quick follow up from from last time, and it's more just uh, letting everyone know that I've continuing the Remembrance of Earth's Past interview series, and have posted a couple of new interviews this week. So uh, it should be in the feed already. So if you're already subscribed, then I encourage you to listen to those for conversations around that series. But warning, it does have full spoilers for the entire series. All right, let's just uh, quickly sum up the chapters we've read. In these chapters, we've learned that a Luans. And again, I'm guessing at the pronunciation, because like we talked about, don't have the audiobook. Eluans are the ones who saved humanity. We learned that Grums, 
Dr. Chef's species are going extinct. Uh, we learn that Ashby has a secret alien girlfriend. We learn that Dr. Chef has grown children. We've learned that a Toremi clan, and the Toremi are very warlike, has just agreed to join the the GC. Does anyone remember what the GC stood for? The Galactic Commons. Galactic Commons. And and everyone is is shocked and uh you know very distrustful of the Toremi. We've learned that the Wayfarer and other boring ships wait, are they called boring ships? Um, tunneling ships. ships. Tunneling yeah, ships. Yes, it's not like the Elon Musk uh, company. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they 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 rely on Ambi, which is some sort of fuel. I can't tell exactly what it is, but it seems sort of dark matter related, and that's what it uses to rip open these wormholes. Uh, we've learned that Hedra Ka, where they're flying to, is in a soft zone. So they can't just uh, pop up there. They have to travel there the long way for 0.8 standards, which, you know, somewhere in the order of magnitude of a year. And, and maybe maybe that's why it's an angry planet, because, because of the softness. We've learned that they live near a black hole, the Toremi, that is. So we learned that Jenks had a zealot mother who was a survivalist, uh, although she broke away from that group and joined some... Other sort of uh, hippie-ish group that is very attached to Earth, not not as uh, zealous. And, and the survivalists apparently uh, left ab- abnormal kids to die. So, for example, Jenks, I think if Jenks grew up in a more typical human sort of upbringing, uh, he would have gotten gene therapy to make him a more standard height. But the survivalists not only reject that, they decide that he, he probably shouldn't live. Oh, so Jenks inquires about a body body kit for Lovey, the AI, and his uh, friend, Pepper, who uh, he visits over on um, Port Coriol, uh, which is, you know, basically New York City for space. And she she doesn't really think he should do this. But uh, because because of her, her friendship, she agrees to like look out for an illegal AI body kit. We finally meet a Hermagian. He's selling soap. They are vaguely humanoid, but uh, they have lots of tentacles. We learn that the Hanto language is uh, largely motion-based and visual, like ASL, American Sign Language. There is an expensing conflict between Kizzy and Rosemary. Sussex can... Uh, comforts an Andrus stranger and explains Andrus society a bit. We learn that there's space ice cream. Actually, I think we learned that earlier, but it comes up again. Ashby meets his secret alien girlfriend, and uh, her name is Pei, and we learn that she's been ambushed by a Rosk strike team. Uh, she and Ashby have a discussion about Pei's use of violence, uh, which Ashby excuses despite being a pacifist, like most Exodons. And then we learn that Ohan is dying. He is starting a phase of his life called the Wayne, which is a consequence of the Sienat pair having uh, that viral infection. And uh, we get an explanation as to why aliens are so similar to humans, or the various uh, sentient races are so close to each other. And it pretty much boils down to that's just the inevitable conclusion of the physical rules that we live by. The the job uh, that they get is like this really, really high paying job that is about taking a long, long trip to Hedraka, which is in Toremi territory. It's that warlike sort of that clan in that warlike species that has just joined the GC. So it's dangerous and arduous, but they will be they will be paid a ton of money. Um, is it arduous? So all... It seems like more that it's boring. It's boring, right? It's like yeah, it's it's more. It's not like dangerous, but it's just like a long it's, way it's... for people to to be in space for a long time. Yeah, it's long. It's like a it's yeah, a long it's way. A to small angry <laughs> yeah. planet. Yeah, but but wasn't the danger part that it's a they're going to a small angry planet where the people are at at war? But everyone seems to be like, ah, it'll be okay. Like, that's not that's not a big deal. Like, there'd be tons of people there at that time. Like, I think there's, like, an undercurrent of, like, maybe there might be a problem. But, like, I think, I, I think they're more think concerned that... about the immediacy of, like, hey, we need to be on this spaceship for 
a standard, which is probably about a year, right? They, yeah. They do even say, though, that they can make stops along the way and they're planning on stops. So it doesn't sound like it's like too grueling, but. It sounds like it is, uh, it's a little of a both, right? The, the crew tell everyone, you know, whatever they're talking to, like friends, like, uh, and Ashby is talking to, um, Pay. And he's like, ah, oh, it's going to be fine. Right. But I, I get the impression that they don't actually, they're not really sure it's going to be fine. It's just a lot of money. So they're going to go and take a chance. Uh, they, they certainly don't believe that the, these guys that joined the, the GC, the Toremi, they don't, they don't seem to really believe that they're, they're truly peaceful, but they're willing to do it. Cause yeah, they, it, it seems like the risk to them, the safety risk is they get there and, you know, they get attacked before they, um, you know, jump into tunneling their hole and leaving. But the other thing is, apparently it is is a very, like the letter, you know, from the government that says, hey, we want you to to do this, like even warns them, like, you know, this is this is a really hard trip. And if your crew is not super tight uh, and, and super competent, uh, don't do this. To, to me, I think I, I got the impression, like, yeah, like the journey itself was the more dangerous thing rather than everyone's, I mean, everyone, I, I guess, is maybe, Maybe they're being naive and thinking that the people are joining the GC now, so they're they're cool and they're not going to cause trouble. And that everyone's more concerned about the crew and like their ability to stay in space for for a year or a standard. Yeah, well, I get the impression that I mean, this is one of those you know what they say. Uh, I mean, this is a jumper tunneling mission to uh, an unknown. So I think there's like you know an unknown territory. So I think there's some intrinsic danger that they kind of laid out with like the sort of in the earlier chapters, the sort of mechanics of all this and why this is one is you know, exceptionally dangerous. And I think because they're kind of coming out into like an unknown situation. That's true. Yeah. Like the, the actual mechanics of the job seem to be more difficult than their normal ones. They talked about having to do like the, the pinhole toe or whatever, uh, and not being able to do blind punches and having to do anchored, anchored punches, I guess. Uh, yeah. so maybe that's just, and then soft space or whatever that means around, uh, around that planet so yeah maybe like the conditions are more dangerous right and it's going like you know i guess the teremika like inhabit more of like the inner core of the the galaxy and i think that's a bit that seems like a big question mark for uh like the rest of the gc races so yeah it's it's also as every center of every galaxy is it's also close to the supermassive black hole so yeah uh I think that maybe that's why it's a soft zone and, and they can't just do blind punches because maybe maybe it's something there's something destabilizing about being that close to a black hole. There's also the additional twist. I think they said in the letter that uh, like something having to do with Rosemary and them hiring Rosemary sort of like prompted the job coming their way. So, I mean, that's a bit of a. A mystery at this point but she has something think, to do with this well i don't think it was her specifically i think that they because they hired somebody to fulfill that job that's why she was that that's why they kind of get like they're saying like oh you're a more serious crew now you have a clerk and so yeah we, yeah, we trust I mean, you i don't think it's I, something with her specifically but maybe i i mean it might be I, I don't know i still think there's some little you know mystery kind of lurking in the back here maybe it, yeah maybe it doesn't go anywhere but i'm still kind of holding out that there might be like a connection there between her specifically joining up and them getting this job. I mean, it may not be, but we'll have to read on and see. Yeah. I, there might be, you know, if this is, this is taking place in the real world, whenever I see a letter like that, what I imagine is somebody, you know, did some database query to find all the people who have like all these validation check marks, like having a clerk, having done end jobs, stuff like that. And they just kind of generate this letter. <laughs> And and like you know, email it to like you know, five thousand crews or something like that. Well, they email them first, right? Or they they sent the the like because I think in the letter it specifically says like we got your request and we've approved it because we looked into your background. You know, you have a clerk now. Oh, you know, yeah. like anything you can do it. It's not like a yeah. It's not like a a recruiter like blindly like cold calling a bunch of people. It's submit a proposal to make do this job. Yeah, I, I think I lean toward it being like a, a handwritten or hand typed sort of letter. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if it was just like, uh, you know, we don't really care exactly what's going on with your crew. We, we've just seen that you have like all these check marks. You have a clerk, you've done end missions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So here you go. Although, although I think, you know what? Okay, I think I, I'm going to flip flop because I remember, I think that letter said something like, they have an exclusive offer. And 
they were not going to offer it to somebody else until they replied. Yeah, they had like so, the okay. right of first refusal yeah. or something. Yeah, I definitely think there's a little more going on as to why they were chosen. I mean, and whether it has something to do with Rosemary specifically or not remains to be seen, but I think it's a possibility. Anyway, so I thought this this chapter was pretty interesting, or these chapters were pretty interesting, only not because of the, the there's not a big expansion in the plot, I think, like they kind of set up events about the job and uh, about that. But I think the more interesting part to me was the world building, you know, introducing the new aliens, introducing kind of the more concepts of like what happened to the human race, uh, like why they became exodons and like what, how their disposition is like now, how they're, they're more pacifist. Yeah, I thought, I think the was partially I'm having trouble remembering whether it was in this block of chapters or the previous block of chapters, but was it was it in this block of chapters where it was revealed that humanity was basically saved by the Aluans? Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I that that sort of rings true to me. Like if humanity is gonna be saved, that's kind of what's gonna happen. But I, I think I think that is interesting, like that it would have an effect on the development of humanity. So far, right? Humanity is God, swearing, the king poop of the crap mountain or whatever, and like you know, is very proud of itself. And it, it would be interesting to see uh, what would happen if like an event like that ha- happened, where like they were gonna about to, you know, experience they're experiencing the consequences of their actions, and then somebody that just knows more and is better at things uh, actually saved them. And that's that's an interesting alternate reality, I think. I, I think it makes sense that they that 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 would happen, um, that they would be humbled by that experience. But I also think like a common trope is that they would again build up their arrogance, you know. Um, and that that's true. Humanity never learns. <laughs> yeah, like they go, oh, they, yeah. I mean, that happens a lot in the the previous series, the Rumors or past series, like where humans gets like a, humans get a lot of arrogance around them, and then they're kind of humbled <laughs> by some event. And so that that's kind of what I expect to happen here. Uh, and maybe like the Cap Ashby's stuff here is talking about how, you know, oh, it's probably okay that you defended yourself. And like, he's kind of moving away from pacifism. Like maybe that'll be like a recurring theme throughout the series too, where humanity is kind of returning to its more warlike roots rather than their, their Star Trek like pacifism. I, I also think uh, we don't have to talk about, we can talk about this later, but uh they, uh, she seems to directly address the the Star Trek like alien similarities, uh, you know, alien self similarity kind of thing, which is pretty amusing. But back to the the thing with humanity being uh, pacifist, but it's also interesting to see that she's chosen to write a story about where powerful aliens also see the benefit in being peaceful and cooperative. Um, that's kind of interesting. I think uh, things kind of hit harder when they're more dystopian, when, you know, you write something about something that's like just now, uh, like the world we live in, but, you know, much more terrible and harsh. But yeah, it's sometimes interesting when somebody writes about a, a utopia, like uh, like in the Ian M. Banks culture books, where humans just get everything they want from like these super powerful computers. And that, yeah, that's that's like an interesting kind of territory to go through. Not not that that's what this is. This is definitely somewhere in the middle. And, and who's to say like it it will continue that way? You know, like this is the beginning of the book. So the, I think often they'll they'll set up a a situation, you know, a, a utopian situation, and then it'll evolve over over the course of time. You know, maybe like meeting up with like this warlike race at the the center of the galaxy will kind of skew humans to be more more warlike and more more violent than than they they have been uh since since the exodus yeah i mean the planet is angry so right someone's got to <laughs> feed into that i did like your point about the yeah the how she kind of head on addressed like that there are different like dispositions of of people in the race like all races don't exactly are the same like she was saying some of the other guys are are jerks right you know they're not like they they wouldn't all have shown the kindness that that she had shown to that old woman and that kind of thing i think there's a little bit of it like there's a kind of natural like all races are sort of similar but it's nice that there's a little bit of explanation of like not everyone's the same I think I was most intrigued by uh, what was the name of the the tentacle guys, the Harmagians, or yeah, I, I thought they were they're the most interesting of the uh, of the alien races that are introduced. I thought um, the language is 
kind of interesting, but like the fact that they used to rule the galaxy, even despite their physical deficiencies, like they had to like wheel themselves around in carts, but like, it seemed like they were more, they're still, even despite that, they're able to subjugate like large swaths of the, of the galaxy. Um, so I'm interested to hear more about that. And I guess the next chapter says, talks about their, their history. So maybe we'll, we'll hear more about that. Yeah. And, and I, again, I, I thought it was, it was pretty interesting that, uh, they also, after a while, decided, although it sounds like they still have like some kind of hegemony going, they, they decided to just not be so harsh towards uh, other species. Yeah, so I was going to say, do you, do you guys kind of like this, like this form of storytelling in which like, um, I mean, I, I don't know how you guys, you know, read it, but like I kind of read, you know, these alien, you know, races or as kind of like, like the authors, they're sort of like these pedagogical stand-ins for like, you know, various, like, at least that's how I read them as like aspects of like human values or like ways in which like the author wants humanity to be better in some way, as she describes with this interaction with the old woman and all that, and that they have this very like empathetic and basically these public displays of affection that are uncomfortable for humans or most other races to see but it's kind of clear that like the author kind of wants the reader to maybe take a lesson from this or say like this like the the, the way andrisks are is like a suggestion for the, like the way she would like to see you know, humans be and like there's also like some you know, things about their family structure it seems to be like that the author sort of approves of i think of in a way or like the grum are sort of very empathetic cyanet as the chapter with um with Ohan, you know, describes, yeah, and the Wayne and all that, that they send to, like, have this, you know, kind of spiritual connection to the universe or something, or at least they send, like, they, they accept their deaths in a rather elegant way. I guess, like, this is just, like, this is a common thing in, you know, anytime you have an author creating, like, a fictional race and all that, that, like, I think it's, impo- you know, it seems almost impossible for them to, like, not, like, to have that, like, that race be, like, a stand-in for some either good or bad part of, like, humanity. I don't know, I, I guess, I guess just to throw it back to you guys, you know, like, do you guys like this, like, version of Star? Do you think, like, that that's what the author is doing? Do you think it's, like, possible for the author to, like, for someone to create a, fa- an author to create, like, a fantasy race or a sci-fi race that is, like, sort of interesting on its own terms and is not trying to, like, say something about humanity be like this current idealized version of humanity i I think that's a pretty interesting question certainly it would be pretty off-putting if it seemed like like straight up moralizing but i think it's somewhere between there is a little bit i i I don't think the author can control herself or most authors can't with like you know some some bit of imparting their own morals into things but uh it does seem like an exploration of possibility uh, as much as that, because like I, I don't feel like we're supposed to empathize with the, the Sienna <laughs> that well, but she's trying to ex- ex- she still tries to explain like how how he thinks or how they think how how it would be like to be like that. In the case of the Andrisk, I think she's starting to make the point that like Sisix is an individual, and there's other members of her species that are actually don't like show that you know public affection or or any affection right she i think there's there's a part where she talks about how you know they just kind of walked by that old woman and like didn't really care the the other thing uh, that's interesting about the andrisk is like yeah i i guess they're 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 very affectionate and caring but they don't consider uh fully grown they don't consider non-adult andrus to be people so I think they they don't care if they die. Uh, they'll eat them sometimes. I hope I'm not making the eating them thing up, <laughs> but it, it's no. like the impression I got is so powerful that I thought like, oh, maybe they just do like the human lizard thing where they just eat children sometimes. I mean, it's also a theme with uh, when I talk about Jinx, right? Or like they say like, oh, usually like for his his deficiencies, like his height deficiency, they would just like throw him away, right? As part of that that thing. So maybe it's a recurring theme throughout the these chapters i mean i hope yeah. they i i do like how they introduced kind of yeah more individuality i would say it's i would like more of that you know i i really hope when we actually start meeting this race the the Turemi Ka, that they're not just like all warriors you know <laughs> you know that's that that would be boring you know i think it'd be well it'd be interesting be? if you go there and like yeah some of them are peaceful some of them are diplomatic some of them are warriors like there's different factions just like 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 you'd expect in for real Dan, aren't, yeah, uh, I, I agree with you, but are you into the Klingons, Dan? I am not. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Klingons are the most boring part of Star Trek. <laughs> oh, they are. Oh, oh, 
we're gonna get we're gonna get hate for that. Oh no! <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't yeah, know. I, 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 I'm familiar with them, but I, I find them funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 think, I think I think they're, they're boring because down. they're they're all homogenous, right? Like I think the there's not I think the parts that are interesting about the Klingons are like when they do have different perspectives and not 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 just all like warrior race. Like obviously they all have like shared heritage of like that's how they grew up. But you know, there's gonna be different perspectives on different levels of like what's appropriate and what's not and so that's kind of what i hope happens with the charmy kai here is that like there's gonna be different factions not not just like the same mindset like oh we're all just about war and about you know against the outsiders that kind of thing yeah i i didn't like yeah the impression i get because the author tends to be humanizing and, and doesn't really apologize for it like you know in her explanation there probably will be that although yeah, I mean, even Ohan, right? Even he, like, even though he's, like, he's called Galaxy Brain, perceiving, like, all these things all over the place, does appreciate when people are nice to him and tries to be nice to other people, which, I, I again, I also think that's that's interesting. I think the main point of that chapter, though, was to just set up that he's probably going to die or go away. Yes. Or not, be, not being able to be effective when they actually get to the destination right or in the middle or whatever and then the you know scrap scrap the crew needs to yep yeah and i think we <laughs> talked about this last episode like you know are they going to be without him when they need yeah. him yeah i think it's almost certain now right like they're yeah before i was like well, what character could they lose what yeah would be what would be interesting to the story and now i was like well she's setting it up that they're not going to have him or he's not going to be available or he's gonna be too sick or whatever yeah after that whole ruth bader ginsburg thing I I feel they should just stop and get a new guy. <laughs> um, so you guys though feel like you know these the the races so far are pretty well and I do you know are pretty well sketched and not maybe like you know a little like too on the nose for like what they're you know, what they're trying to which is sort of like trying to like convey with these races. I mean I think they are pretty you know pretty well written, but. I think like there's like seeds of them being more fully formed right now. We haven't met enough of the other races, you know, we only know about like the crew and a couple other people we met here and there. So I would like to see more of that. Um, but I, yeah, that's a common thing too. I think like, you know, you get, um, you know, like the actual, like, well, for lack of a better term, like the NPC, like the, the character you get of that race and all that tends to be something of an exemplar, you know, in, in sci-fi and fantasy of like that race, you know, so we see like Sissix, for example, and obviously she, you know, explains that some are jerk, you know, it's not, you know, they're not all like these wonderful caregivers. Yeah, they're um, not all super kind. Uh, and, yeah. Right. But the character, but the character you get, you either have the most interaction with or is who often these types of stories tends to be like, like I said, kind of an exemplar of their race in a way. And I feel like almost like Sissix at this point seems almost, almost a bit like the author stand in, whereas, you know, like Rosemary might be the reader stand in, like, like Sissix seems, you know, really, really mature, really the den mother. Yeah, like a little bit uh, that what they term the Mary Sue, right? Maybe a little bit too perfect. Of a character, yeah, it seems a little bit. I think a lot of the characterization is good, uh, and it might get more complex as it goes along. Just in the same way, like I think when you we read the first few chapters, we mostly read about you know archetypes, right? And now there's there's maybe starting to break away from that kind of thing. I still think that Ashby is a very flat character. He's he's a captain. He loves to to lead. Yeah. Uh, he has secret girlfriend that's <laughs> pretty basic yeah, kind of thing yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely he's the uh he's sort of like the a, like a nice version of captain kirk or something right now and he's got his yeah, sexy alien girlfriend which again that's another extremely mass effect thing and that these uh, if you've ever played mass effect they have that aulan seem like very similar to the asari from mass effect but yeah I, I I haven't I haven't played it, but I heard a lot about the the wish fulfillment aspects of Mass Effect there. Yeah. Um, and and oddly, uh, I don't know if she ever squares this, but the author does say, "Oh, well, it's kind of amazing that Aeolans uh, uh, have all the physical characteristics that humans happen to find <laughs> attractive." And then she just kind of leaves it there. I, I forgot if she comes back to it or something like that. But you know, maybe maybe there'll be more more reckoning about that kind of thing. Yeah, I wonder if she's even going to come back at all or it's just like just driving the plot forward for him, right? Like I don't know if she's going to play like a more major part of the story. 
I think she yeah. probably will. She's the, I don't know if you can, the author can resist like the sexy, cool commando lady. Yeah. Like, popping in from time to time. She'll come back and save the day. <laughs> Look, they'll be in trouble. She'll like shoot one of the, the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> you guys can't be violent, but I, the lady Boba Fett, <laughs> will just pop in and <laughs> like, you know, do some dirty bounty hunter stuff or whatever. Or, uh, I guess she's, she's actually a, like a kind of a smuggler, right? I think. Is she? I thought she was like more like protection force. That's what it seemed like, but maybe I misread it. I, I feel like she said that her her missions involve getting some kind of... I mean, it may be the way she does it is by, like, fighting a bunch of guys and stuff like that, but uh, getting cargo safely from, like, you know, through dangerous places and things like that. She's something of, like, a like a courier that does take you know, dangerous jobs and just, like, as a, as a result of that has to be a cool combat badass. So what what are your favorite characters now? I mean, who's your favorite character? I don't know that I have a favorite character. I I don't I don't think Ashby's as as one dimensional as and flat. I mean, he is right now, but I think they're trying to establish his stoicism and his dedication to the job, but also that he's he's torn and he's I don't know if he's a romantic, but he's not he's not adhering to social norms the way that other people are. So I think I think Ashby's actually the most interesting of the bunch. Uh, again, going back to what Dan was saying earlier, mostly because he is less stereotypical. I, I think a lot of the other races that they've introduced, they've introduced, you know, this is the cultural norms in in these races, and at some point they're going to subvert them, or people are going to have to go against what their instinct would be. So. I think that's going to happen, but for me right now, I think I'm most in, I'm most interested in what Ashby is going to become. Yeah, I think there's there's still yeah a lot of potential there. Dan, I can't. I'm thinking about it. I don't think I have a favorite character. I'm more interested in the 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 other races and the backstory and the world building. I'm I'm more interested in the Taremika than anything else really. Like what uh -huh. that race is actually like, and and like maybe it's like more of the like, oh, this could be really cool. Like, it's a race that's living in the center of the galaxy and kind of learning more about that culture. I'm not super interested in, like, any of the the character. I mean, like, I think they're well-defined and they have good personalities, but I can't say that I'm super interested in any of them. <laughs> I guess I guess that's true for me, too. Maybe which 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 character mystery are you interested in? Because I, I think she's opened up a number of character mysteries here. I guess Rosemary would be the what's going on with her to see like what's what's happening with her backstory and like what she's trying to hide. Hopefully, it's not something dumb, but yeah, <laughs> we'll give her uh, give her the benefit of the doubt, right? Like that that she can make. I mean, she's setting it up as like the biggest one of the bigger mysteries of the book, right? Um, you know what's going on with her family. So yeah, I, I would say that's probably the one I'm most interested in. I would say I'm yeah. not interested in Jenks, his his creepy. AI fascination. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not looking forward to seeing how that resolves. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 like uh that's an interesting thing. It's like I think you you're the one who called uh in favor of how he's going to end up doing the computer girlfriend thing. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. Tim? Yeah, I don't know if I have like again, I I don't know if I have like a specific favorite character, but that's not like a condemnation of like the way the characters are written i think it's like a good ensemble it's a, it's a good rpg party um at this point uh so and you know for all i uh you know said about like maybe you know sissix being the mary sue or something like that like i i, I would say I, I like her character the most out of all of these but but yeah like i mean said like I, I i am interested in like i both both ashby and rosemary obviously like like they seem to have like despite not being super well sketched at this point they seem to have the most like central him being the captain and like you know he's obviously privy to probably you know information that we don't that that's important that we don't know yet and same thing with rosemary so like they kind of have like most central mystery around them yeah and tim you raise a good point about rosemary because until you just mentioned it i totally forgot about her buying an illegal id card and doing all those kinds of things so 
Uh, I forgot yeah, about she's... Rosemary's intrigue altogether in, in all this other character development. Well, yeah, that's the point I was trying to, you know, like, I'm not sure whether there's some connection as to why Ashby gets this and why, and Rosemary coming on there, but like, I think there might be. So that, like, that's a plot point that I'm interested in. But yeah, that's like, I, th I think they're, I think they're a good ensemble. Um, and I think, I think there's just, there's just like a, a lot of little things kind of adding up to being pretty interesting. And, and the other thing I appreciated in these chapters, they did a lot of character development, but I don't remember a lot of talk about Corbin. And I think that's because Corbin is, I, I think that type of character just becomes tiresome. So him, him being crotchety for, 200 pages that's well he probably does he probably doesn't he's probably not the type that wants to go yeah like gallivanting out in the right of, busy port which you know like this was this this chapter the port cradle chapter was kind of like a a bit of a tour de force of world building here like they, they do it's, it's the big multicultural kind of marketplace there's a lot of fun detail in here but I don't know, from I mean, no, I'm spoiling it, but I mean, from some reviews I've read of this, but you know, I've 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 read that like he gets better as a character later on. Oh, but, yeah. well, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah I because I, like at least there's there's more dimensions to him other than just being like this kind of you know crank. Yeah, you, you mean you mean like the scary neighbor in Home Alone? <laughs> oh, that guy had a full life. More, more like just as like you know how sometimes authors kind of like he's just not going to be he's not just like the stand-in for like what's bad as, for as what what's bad about humans or something like that. Like there's more dimensions to him than that. Yeah, I, I guess I feel well, pretty much like everybody else. I, I don't have like ex exactly a favorite character, but I'm interested in that that there are a couple doomed characters, and maybe maybe more. Right? There's there's that there's like obviously Ohan, right? And it'll be interesting to see if she, you know, gets, gets, tries to get you to care that he is going to die and gets you to think of him as more than just some cool computer guy. Uh, and then, yeah, apparently, uh, Dr. Chef's race is doomed and they don't, they didn't really talk about why yet. But, uh, I, the, the I other thing I would, oh yeah, I don't remember the, de I don't remember the detail there with their race. Is there more? There wasn't any, as I don't think there was any detail. It was it was just like uh, right. they were talking they about. Okay. I think other characters were talking about the Grum race, Doctor Chef's race. He said it too that like yeah, his 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 race. He knows that his race is basically on its way to extinction. Yeah. Oh yeah, I yeah. We should probably say species just to avoid uh, confusing. Although I guess maybe they are actually post-racial this this time because I I was actually listening to um, like a role-playing games. Uh, podcast where I keep up with that stuff only through that podcast. So I learned there's some big brouhaha over Wizards of the Coast getting getting rid of like uh, so sort of like what Tib was talking about. It's like you know if if the author creates uh, races, can can they avoid just kind of <laughs> weaving in their their own uh, biases about actual races or or you know actual aspects of the human race in there? And uh, apparently Wizards of the Coast is getting rid of like things like orcs are automatically evil and, and things like that. And the drow are evil. And uh, yeah, and uh, people are very upset. <laughs> they kind of got rid of like, you know, traditional like alignment anyway. So and Oh, they did? Get, yeah, I think they're kind of getting rid of... Uh, I didn't know that. And getting rid of like, you know, the evil, good and evil being almost like this elemental thing and that like these these races are intrinsically evil because oh. obviously you know i mean yeah. a lot of you know a lot of been a lot of discussion over the years about tolkien too and orcs and how like are, are there weird racist implications about orcs and and other like you know, evil demi-human races you know with you know through like fantasy and D D. yeah and like the whole this the stand-in factor yeah. for a lot of people well you know whether whether it's intended or not yeah i think i think there is something about um I was reading also like uh, something Terry Pratchett said about Tolkien, who is uh, apparently Terry Pratchett's favorite author is is Tolkien. Uh, but he was saying that like in Tolkien, like putting aside you know the thing about the, how Tolkien has men from the east being and, and men from the south being like these evil guys who ally with Sauron uh, and are dark skinned and all that stuff. Putting all that aside, there's like this certain determinism uh, in, in Tolkien where if you're born an orc, no matter what happens, you're, you're just going to be an evil dude 
Like you're not going to have like experiences that will uh, change you and make you into some sort of hero. Like even even the dwarves, like you know, he said like in the Hobbit, he was like saying, you know, dwarves are good at like uh, finding gold and making things, but they're not heroes uh, and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I think that ties. That is what you know D and D pulls its races from, and that is in some ways not really that interesting to play. And depending on what you like to do, I guess. Stretching to bring it back to this. Yeah, I, I think uh I think the author being a person who's under fifty years old is is aware of like that kind of uh you know, racial or even species self determinism kind of stuff. And it is trying to say, like, okay, you've I have to introduce uh all these species to you, but maybe as quickly as I can, I am going to introduce how they they are not exactly the same because they are influenced by experience. But it's kind of weird because it also ties it back to uh, the reason they're influenced by experience is because they're also human. <laughs> uh, as she explains, like that, you know, physics in her world just inevitably leads to something that it resembles, you know, a human in terms of like thinking and learning and things like that, instead of like some crazy mind-destroying H.P. Lovecraft thing that uh, doesn't operate on the same axioms. So do you think all that stuff that she talked about was more related to the story or just like her thoughts on on this kind of thing uh, in, in, a, in a more abstract way? Will this come back in the story and be important? I don't know. I, you know, I give it 60-40 that she is actually just kind of, just kind of covering herself for, for those people who are like, well, why why are all these aliens basically people, right? Uh, and I feel that's in in some ways that's sort of unnecessary, right? If if that's what you want to write, and this isn't hard sci-fi, you don't really have to explain that. What do you guys think of that explanation? Well, I think if it's uh, it, it kind of contrasts. I think you know we we talked a bit a, a bit of about this with the um you know in, in in the previous book and all that like you know maybe this re- you know represents one train of thought as to you know like you know speculating about what other life on you know since we have no other we have no other comparative other to you know imagine an alien race it it, it could be that an alien race you know if we or sorry alien species is uh might be something completely different and so different than humanity. You know, is it is it even carbon based, or is it a collection of crystals with syn- you know synapses that equate to something you know intelligent? Um, or does like is it possible that even for life to arise in the universe, that we're all kind of born on you know it's, it's all kind of born out of the same physical and ecological constants? For life to arise in another another planet, do you have to, do you still have to have similar conditions? Like, do you have there have to be water? And if there is water, you know, and like, does it start as multi-celled organisms? And do those of all of ultimately evolve into something with spines and and something that resembles a human, something you can call a brain? And beyond that, there's obviously going to be a ton of different obviously evolutionary pressures that are going to lead to different being you know different types of beings but like does life itself like kind of have these core rules that it has to evolve by and i think she's just kind of like planting a flag you know for, at least for the purposes of like justifying as to why all of these races can ultimately speak communicate with each other or maybe understand each other in some ways that you know she's kind of planting her flag there and saying that yeah this is this is what i think is more most likely I think the point that she made, like how that the universe has uh, laws around like stuff like gravity, you know, could also maybe apply to biological laws too. Like that, that was a good way to kind of describe what she was going after there. And and I, I think I think again, it is it is largely about what is interesting to her and and just generally interesting to people, right? The the definition of life, right, is like I'm just going to look at Wikipedia, right? Uh, it has like. It has seven traits, right? Homeostasis, it's able to maintain like a constant state. Uh, it's able, it's organized, it's composed of one or more cells. It has metabolism, it like trans, translates or transforms energy into chemicals, uh, chemicals into energy. It grows, it can adapt over time in response to the environment, it responds to stimuli, and it reproduces. I think like once once we get off of Earth, right? I think those rules are going to change. Like that seems to be a very Earth centric view towards yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, and you know, 
and and the kind of life you could have if you relax any of those rules just becomes in things like oh well i mean there's this group of i don't know silicon cells that just keeps on growing over here right uh it doesn't talk it doesn't doesn't move around it responds to sunlight etc it's not or yeah let's say we relax the the part of the definition about cells or something like that not that many people are going to want to read a novel about that our <laughs> the guy we like to laugh at michael crichton i think wrote a, actually a really good book about this kind of thing the andromeda strain right where you know the alien is is actually just like a virus that can like break apart plastics and things like that and, and that's just like the most likely kind of uh alien life right it's just it's basically these are basically machines right uh you've like finding an alien life is finding machines, right? To a human reader, generally what they want to find is something that is actually, you know, uh, like a person. Like even if it's like some crazy H.P. Lovecraft as a thought kind of thing, that's still a thing that thinks about stuff and has a will and and does things like that. It's not just like a pure machine. They're also setting up the AI conversation, right? Is AI really life? That kind of like that's oh. definitely that's definitely a concept that is already yes. being introduced and and will be a bigger thing. And hopefully, the, you know, the AI will have enough sense to reject Jenks, but I don't know. <laughs> 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 oh, the AI uh, relationship column will we'll advise her. <laughs> yeah, to get to get rid of that, uh, yeah. get out of that relationship. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it'd be hilarious if, like, uh, you know, they go through with getting her a body and then she just leaves. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of history there, too, right? There's a lot of laws that have been made specifically because of that, you know, maybe because of the genetic engineering that's gone with other races or, you know, there, there seems to be a lot of history of, like, why that getting her a body is a bad idea and, and it seems pretty illegal, right? So, like, yeah. maybe there's, there's, like, a whole, uh, this whole backstory to that. And that, that's also pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there must have been people must have done this and it, it must have not gone well. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting if like, you know, Jenks is pretty well read about this stuff. Apparently, it'd be interesting if he is able to face up to that, like, oh, this this happened before. Why is it OK for me to do it? Which is sort of similar to the whole Ashby pacifist thing. Right. So, so far, it may come up again, like, OK, I think violence is bad, but uh it's okay for, for my girlfriend to do it. It's an aside, but I also get the, the feeling that his girlfriend would uh, pay. I, I think they're setting her up like to be like, at some point she's going to be at odds with it. And it's going to set up some sort of like conflict, like she's going to take a job. I'm just making a prediction here, just based on the kind of character she is, and what they're setting up here, that she's going to be on like a job that like puts her at odds with this. And like, she's going to like some sort of like, like some sort of conflict is going to arise from there. Uh, she's definitely not going to fade away. No. And yeah, there there's going to be more meant for her than to just pop in every once in a while. So I think it's likely. Also, I, I have to, using meta knowledge that there are three books in this series, at least, I, I can't see them getting their big payoff. I, I feel like something something has to happen that, that really changes things or something like that. If this, I'd be very surprised if this book ended with, hey, uh, we made the wormhole. Now we're super rich. <laughs> That's it. Well, it could be that they they open that wormhole and then like that introduces a whole but no, who knows sets of problems, right? Like now, like they're in the space of this this warrior race, and you know, and, and it seems like pretty unknown territory out there, right? So yeah. it could be that there's like more world building to do. Yeah, I'm still not sure whether this is a self-contained story and that like the sequel involves a different set of characters, but I'm guess given the amount of like character setting up that they're doing you know just still this far into given how like this is not not a super long book and the amount of like attention that they're paying to characters here i would i would wager a guess that we're gonna be sticking with these characters or this group throughout the it's called the it's called the wayfarer series so sure (laughs) i'm I'm guessing what if there's new wayfarers could be it could be like an anthology series right right and like get a new crew in every every uh book What, what if the next book starts with these wayfarers and then it like only goes on for two chapters, then all of a sudden they introduce some other wayfarers. <laughs> they say, Hey, 
they just like go with them for the rest of the book. Could be. Yeah, she, <laughs> it, it seems unlikely that uh, it's going to do any Hideo Kojima kind of things here. So, yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that they're going to get all the way to Hedrica? Just to, while we're in the prediction space. I think so. Yeah, I would imagine here. I don't know if you can stretch a whole, the entire journey or whatever over one. You don't think it's going to be a thing where like they were going to get get there and then like well, something some big thing. comes up. Yeah, yeah, maybe something they get blown off course or something, and they're you know I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. But I think that I, I I would imagine that the plot of this mm. chapter or this book, you know, specifically, is going to resolve what happens with their journey there. And the final episode of this season is called "All Said and Done." So we would be we we ourselves would be liars if they didn't get the job done. Oh, okay. <laughs> Literally, they've said everything by that time, and they've they've done everything. But right. they haven't, because there's two more books at least. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, well, there's a new mission. Maybe it's like the Mandalorian, where they always have some distracting side mission to, to keep yeah. them entertained. Yeah, I guess I can't explain why I think that they they actually won't succeed and will be doing something else. Maybe that's just something I hope happens. It, definitely in a video game, they would succeed, and then they would have a bigger ship and more guys, but then the challenge would be even greater. <laughs> Well, in a video game, they would spend more time doing all the side missions than they would do the actual mission. That's true. The Mandalorian <laughs> side quest kind of thing, or the the fetch this to get this, to give to this guy, to get yep, to that guy. That <laughs> uh, again, I, I think we've talked about how skillful Jon Favreau is, but yeah, you have to be very skillful to write around a, a plot skeleton that is basically a video game one to say well any final thoughts on these chapters good world building you know i think the port corridor chapter was pretty entertaining and like a pretty a lot of world building done in one chapter you know like a lot of little details so i thought it was pretty uh pretty entertaining but... yeah it was a fun read and it, it's it's interesting how i wonder i wonder if you write skillfully uh and, and make things fun people will question your premises less Whereas if you're you're kind of not having a good time with something, you're like, well, why is this? And then like your podcast discussion is all like, what is about what about this principle and stuff like that? Although I, I guess we still did a little of that to hear. So thanks for listening, everyone. Leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. Please join us next time for episode three cricket, where we'll be reading chapter eleven. Intro to Hermogian Colonial History to Chapter 13, The Last War of the Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers.